Sites of Belonging is a podcast produced to tell the stories of Summit Public School educators, young people, caregivers, and community members. In this space, we explore wellness, transformative justice, LGBTQI realities, Black and Indigenous experiences, and current events that challenge or promote a sense of belonging. I am your host, Ms. Jewel, a womanist fairy, here to facilitate, listen, and learn with you. As the director of Whole Child Wellness at Summit Public Schools, this space is where we are all expected to expand together. May you learn new ways to create sites of belonging for yourself and your community. I'm so excited for our first episode and to introduce you to our two guests. We have an educator on that I have a beautiful exploratory conversation with about what it means to be a Black female educator and what it means to choose yourself in a space and time when we're taught not to choose ourselves. And so I'm so excited for you to hear from Christina, who is our assistant principal at Summit Atlas High School. And we're going to end with our beautiful young person, Talia Reyes. And she's really going to walk us through a wellness practice of what does self-love look like? How do we practice this? How do we engage in this? So I really hope you stick around for a good 45 minutes to an hour because we're about to have a good time exploring identity, centering wellness, and really figuring out how do we continue to create sites of belonging. I'm so grateful to be here with my sister, Christina Brawley, my sister in the administration world of Summit. Welcome, welcome. Hey, girl. I'm so glad to be here. I'm, I feel like I have come to my place mm. of rest. Mm. I'm yeah. so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to even hear you say that. I, um, you know, we've had our relationship ever since we started this job, and we've talked a lot about racial barriers, um, intersectional barriers based on your sexuality or your gender. Mm -hmm. And as we continue to like support and co-create with this organization, I really wanted to talk about what does it mean to create sites of belonging? And Mm -hmm. so, of course, I wanted to have you on. And the topic that we'll be exploring today is like, how can Black female educators center their self-care when we've been taught to be mammies of the world? We've been taught to give and extend and see our worth by caring for others. And I really want us to um, spend some time talking to Black female educators who are either in the space or plan to come into the space And I just want us to share some stories and experiences that hopefully save them and allow Mm -hmm. them to see themselves in the process. So first, who are you? Where are you from? Yes. Well, my name is Christina Brawley. I am originally from Fairbanks, Alaska. Mm -hmm. I came to Washington, did the whole college thing, graduated, started teaching, wanted to see what else was out there in education, moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I was a founding charter school teacher on the north side of Tulsa. Um, Those of you who know your history facts, that was the place of Black Wall Street. 
Um, and so as part of an initiative to help rebuild that area that has been traumatized um, for years, they started a charter school um, for elementary kiddos to focus on black excellence, to start revitalizing that community wow. um, for black folks. So did a year there, um, got into uh, my leadership career that wound up bringing me back to uh, to Washington state. And so I now uh, work with you here at Summit. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, but let's talk about your transition to Washington. So now you're living in Washington state as a black woman, there is a population of black people in Washington. We are not underestimating that. What I do want to talk to you about though, is what is, what is your experience as a black woman who is an educator who has moved, you know, and we're also talking about survival. We're not working for fun. We're not in schools for fun. So you moved as a part of your survival. And I, I do want us to know, you know, whatever you're willing to share about that journey and how it's feeling for you as a Black woman living and, mm. and surviving and thriving in Washington. Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with just my first few years in education was here in Washington. So I did start here mm. um, as a classroom teacher. And unfortunately, Jewel, I believe I suffered a lot of trauma unknowingly mm. a lot of having to explain who I am and why I show up in the, the ways that I do <sighs> in these white these predominantly white working environments mm -hmm. right where I am seen as the aggressive black woman or mm -hmm. I am the teacher that the other white teachers send all of their behavior students yeah. to because Miss <laughs> oh, Raleigh no, is firm, Miss Raleigh is fair, mm -hmm. and we know that she's gonna work out the kinks of these black and brown students that we couldn't control in our classrooms the year. So send them to her, right? So a lot of um unfortunately I didn't have the verbiage to put to to words or to coin the terms of what I was experiencing. Mm. A lot of it for me, as I look back over those first few years of teaching in Washington state, it was race, racial isolation, you know? Um, and I, I was experiencing things, but to me, to put it into words, it was like these intangible things that I'm trying to explain to folks who are not black right? Um, mm -hmm. Who look at me like I am, you know, beating the drum of you're racist and you're taking advantage of me and you're harming me, but no one was able to give me resources or even point me in the direction. Mm -hmm. So then I moved to Oklahoma. I do some work with Teach for America. And now I've got this framework for diversity, equity, and inclusivity, right? And now I can put into words only because I was working through that framework to um, remove barriers for our black and brown kiddos and our marginalized kiddos. I now had the words to put those very, what it seemed like were abstract experiences that I went through and working with white people, I now could put them into words, but only because I was needing to do it for kiddos and coaching yeah. other kids on it. And I guess I will say now that I'm back in Washington, I am much more aware and able to mm -hmm. notice it, call it out and name it for white folks and get into those deep conflicts around why what you are saying or doing is rooted in racist practices and policies. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There was something that you said. You said I um I didn't realize I didn't have the language until I needed to defend the young people right in Oklahoma. And what's real, real, really interesting to me about that point is I think so many of us, I and I'm I'm gonna take a leap here. I think a lot of black and brown people get into schooling, get into education as a trauma response of our own experiences, right? And I also think that sometimes we um, we start responding faster than we actually have the tools. And so we have more passion than we actually have resources. And I really like that you walked us down that path because I want to talk about for Black women and Black girls who are considering going in education. Mm. <laughs> for Black girls and Black women who have not considered themselves yet who are just serving people, mm. but they're considering going to education, what advice, what, maybe even an experience or something an elder shared with you, what could you extend, mm. not as a fear tactic, but to nurture Black girls and Black women into these spaces, because we still choose to be here. So there is no shame for people choosing to come in. Right. I think there is a big challenge and particularly in the dialogues that I'm having with black women, there is a big challenge for us to be mindful of not going in as saviors and mammies. Mm. And I wanna continue to support black women to not go into any space as a savior or as a mammy. But what does mm. that look like? Girl, first of all, <laughs> let me, I, I was just listening to this podcast um, and they they referenced Maya Angelou and something she had said about, um, you know, you're only free when you realize that you belong no place, right? So mm -hmm. I think as a Black woman going into these spaces, I have always felt like I had to wow. assimilate, right, into mm -hmm. white professional culture. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't it wasn't my fault at the time. I didn't know what was happening. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I, you know, and those of you um, women who are listening to this um, or, or men, women and men of color who may be considering going into education. Mm -hmm. And non-binary people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, you have to get to a place where you realize that you don't belong anywhere. You belong no place because you belong everywhere. Ooh. There is no, yes, yes. Let's let that sink in. Yeah, we belong everywhere. We belong everywhere. And <sighs> it is not on me, right? But the way we get to really believing that mm. we belong everywhere is by paying the price, right? She talked about like paying this price. The price is high, right? But the reward is great. The price that you pay is that you yes, are aware of, am I going in as somebody's mate? Your answer should be no. Mm -hmm. um, am I going in to be the savior for, for black and brown kiddos? Mm -hmm. The answer should not be yes to that, right? My job that I have started to uh, kind of see as m within my scope um, and what's in my capacity is to one, take care of myself, love myself, realize that I belong to Christina, mm -hmm. right? And as long as Christina is good with Christina and Christina does not feel like she's got to sh shape shift and transform into the version of Christina that is 
acceptable in the workplace by white folks. So that's what I would say. I would say that education, there, there is a lot of opportunity in this field for us as people of color to come in and rewrite the script, right? To take the old script out and put our, our stake in the ground and say, actually, I'm not getting down with those archaic, old, white, supremacist ideals that have run the system of education in this country for years and decades and generations, right? Mm -hmm. I really believe that if you're thinking about going into education, you have to think about it in a way of, I am an activist, right? And my activism may not always be that I've got to get up on my soapbox and say it for everyone to hear. I think a lot about how my leadership has transitioned from feeling like I have to be out and lead in the front and you are going to hear me right? And you are going to do right by these black and brown kiddos um, from it being more forceful to now I'm finding ways to infiltrate the system, mm -hmm. um, kind of coming in from the back and the sides, right? And it's those little nudges that I'm giving people in the hallway. Hey, I heard you say this thing and it's problematic and here's why. Uh, maybe you should try this next, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't always have to be this huge, like, I've got to go in and do a facelift on the school that I work at or the <laughs> district. You mean I you don't at. have to save the school, Christina? You mean you don't girl, have to pay for every child's lunch every day that doesn't have food? Girl, at that rate, here's the reality. <laughs> I am now noticing at 32, my body is starting to break down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My yeah. back Talk to hurts. The people. Talk to the people. You know, things as simple as like, I won't, I am now doing better after a year and a half of being quarantined of now that I'm back at work in person. When I need to go to the bathroom, I don't care if I'm in the middle of the meeting, I'm getting up and excusing yep. myself. I'm not going to yep. sit here and, and not go to the restroom because yep. I feel like, oh, what are the white people going to think if I, if I get up and I leave? right or what is this it's such what is, a real thing something no. as small as using the bathroom this is how pervasive racism is Girl. though Girl. this is how pervasive racism is and I, I what I really love that you're sharing this story one of the things that's coming up for me though is so if you're a black woman and you're predominantly in like a white space an educational space for folk, for Black women who are like in the Midwest or in some parts of the East Coast, how um, how do we support them? You know, what like what words or advice do we support them with? Because I hear what you're saying, mm -hmm. and um, it also sounds like a lot of extending yourself. It also sounds like you're the only person doing it. And so, actually, my real question to you is, what do non-Black women need to know in that are in educators what do they need to know that would actually support black women so this is for cis black men this is for all cis men of color you know and this is definitely for white folks mm. um and it's really important to outline these identities because these identities are actual factors that allow societies to oppress people mm. and so we're going to name them and we're not shying away from what is an identity. Yeah. So I do want to know for the Black women who are like working in isolated spaces, what do non-Black women need to know? This thing 
that you need to know is that we shoulder a lot more than we should and more than our bodies were designed to handle more than our minds were, were designed to handle and we can do it. But we also are trying to unlearn all of these practices, all of these ideals that we've been steeped in, you know, growing up in this country, in this education system that was oppressive to us. And so the best piece of advice I could give is that everybody needs to be doing their own work. You yeah. need to, I don't, I don't know who you need to go talk to. It's, yeah. it's not hard for you to get on Amazon or Google and type in white women, whoever you are and, and doing work, identity work, DEI, right? It is not mm -hmm. hard for you to get on there and type in uh, white women who teach black, black boys or for white folks who teach mm -hmm. in the hood, right? Mm -hmm. It is not a magic wand. It is simple. It is the self-awareness of your privilege, right? That comes with whatever identity you are. Um, it's just that first step of making sure you're going and educating yourself and then also walking it out and applying the, the mm -hmm. knowledge that you are getting in those books mm -hmm. um, or audible audio books, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever your method of receiving that information, there's no excuse to not be equipping yourself with the tool of knowledge. Mm. Listen, I firmly believe that it's, I have so many opinions on there, there is no excuse for willful ignorance, especially no. for people who are in privileged seats, who have access and who have been had access to knowledge. Um, yeah, it's, about it's, you know, it's really important that we talk about it, talk like this. And, and, and I, and I want our young people, you know, our young people that are in these summer schools to hear these conversations because it is quite literal that me and you and other Black women, we literally stand on the backs of Black women who have been pushed out of schools. Yeah. You know, we stand on the backs of those schools when desegregation happened and they closed down all of those Black schools and then did not fund them, right? Mm -hmm. We stand on the backs of those Black women who were teaching in churches. We stand on the back of our now ancestors, the four little girls that were burned in a church. Yeah. So this is, it's very important that we're, that we, that we have a space to understand why we are here and we yeah. actually reckon with who are we like standing with. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that you're like willing to have this conversation with me because um, not only do I want more black and brown, black and brown women and girls to feel empowered, mm -hmm. but I also want them to understand that we create the standard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we create yes. the standard <laughs> yes black culture frame it's everywhere yeah right we have to in a sense invert the model right invert the framework that we've all been born bred and raised in right we need to flip it on its head no we are not here to conform to your systems and your ways of of doing things which we know are rooted in white supremacy no, we are going to now apply how dope Black culture is and bring that into the spaces in which we work. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be bold about it because I, I dare you to try me on it, right? Like, 
that is just the journey that I have. And I'm now in my ninth year and it's taken time, right? Mm -hmm. So I also want to name that there is that privilege there. If I've had the time to go through the hurt and the trauma and the harm of being a white, or sorry, being a black woman in predominantly white professional spaces, Mm -hmm. right? And this resilience that I have built up did not come overnight. And so I also want to say that um, to my fellow black and brown educators um, or, you know, prospective educators. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to also like honor that this takes time. Um, but as you're going through this, right. And you're kind of like going through this traumatic experience or had this white person say this harmful thing to you, mm-hmm. as much as you're taking in all of that stuff, go and get right. If it's therapy, if it's, you know, whatever self-healing method that you um, ascribe to, like you also have to go that hard into making sure that you're keeping your space and keeping yourself mm. in, a, in a place of healing. Because um, there's a lot of hurt, you know, there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of harm. But I believe, you know, like what my Angela was saying, the price is high, but the reward that we will see that our, our future generations of black and brown kiddos will see and experience, hopefully, is that the old systems begin to pass away because those of us who are, you know, who have been tasked with carrying the torch in education for our mar- marginalized kiddos, that we get rid of those old systems. And we start, like I was saying earlier, infiltrating those systems until they become more representative of us and our culture and our dopeness, right? Mm. So, Mm. yeah. What is a piece of advice you wish your younger self had before going into education? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly. Baby, Christina. Honestly, Jewel, my younger Mm. self, if I could do it over again, I would have blasted into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Mm, tell me I more. You mean like in your undergrad experience or tell me more? Girl, in high school, mm. in middle school, when I didn't see Black when and we were, Brown. When we were taking computer classes? <laughs> yes, yes, right? Like, yes. and I'm so serious because there yes. in itself was trauma for me. I never yep. Yep. saw a teacher who was Black in science or math. Yeah. And so when I was struggling, I didn't even have, right. We talk about racial isolation as a student. I experienced racial isolation because I felt like here was this white teacher who could not connect with me, who never affirmed me as a scientist or a mathematician and told me, Hey, you can go be an engineer. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought it was something that well, the white kids, their brains must work better around math. Mm -hmm. So Jewel, I shut the door on myself, but I I was a child. So the educators who were surrounding me were predominantly white and never took time to affirm that I can do science too. I can do math too, right? And so I would say to my younger self as a student, Yes, you know, education has has been a beautiful journey for me. Um, And, you know, we can't go back and undo the past, but I would have left that door open for myself. Um, You know, 
I would have been bold. I would have been unafraid and, and I would have tried it. I would have realized, yeah, you might not be able to, to do engineering right now, but that's what you go to college for. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You might be a little afraid of math right now, but that's why you go and get an accounting degree because they show you how to do these things. Um, so that's what I would say um, is one piece. The other piece of advice I would give is to, man, you will look back at yourself. Like I look back at myself now. I was in situations. One specifically is coming to mind. I don't know if we have time for a quick story. Hey, we got time, friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was my first year being an assistant principal. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a very um, prestigious, I guess. Um, district. Mm. And I was asked to apologize to the entire staff. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And you'll never believe why, Joel. The apology is secure. <laughs> I was 28 years old. <sighs> So I was asked to apologize to the staff. Um, and mind you, this is a traditional mm. charter school district. Or sorry, a traditional district, not a charter school. So very by the book. I, as, as an assistant principal in a traditional school and as a head principal, you are not supposed to coach teachers. So very much like what we do now, we'll go in and like leave a sticky note. And hey, here's a positive thing I saw. I also mm -hmm. saw you do this thing next time, try, right? Like just little tidbits of like popping into classrooms and coaching teachers. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to do that in a traditional district because you are seen as the evaluator. So in this district, I was supposed to go in and do two or three observations over the course of the entire time we were in school mm -hmm. and evaluate a teacher based on what I saw in those two or three observations and give them a score on how proficient I thought they were after right. two or three observations, Jewel. Right. So you would rather have me do that <laughs> than to be going in and doing maintenance along the way and just giving tidbits of feedback here and there to teachers based on mm. I'm in your classroom two or three times a week. Like, here's some things I'm seeing. Hey, let's try this. Or, Hey, I really love seeing this. Right. So anyway, because I was doing more of the coaching model of like just popping in and Hey, here's some feedback. They were not used to that. And they went and started talking to the union. Hey, Christina is coming oh my in. Goodness. It's intimidating. And she's always typing notes when she's in our classrooms, right? Again, predominantly white school. And, and the structure that they created of observations. Girl. The, <laughs> I don't even want to get into that because yeah. that's a whole yeah. other conversation. And I don't know yeah. if it's for here, but yeah. continue, please. The oppressor, right? A system created by our oppressor. So Continue moving forward. Um, my principal approaches me and asks me to, well, you know, to avoid any kind of fallout with the union, I think it's best that you apologize to the staff. And when I said earlier in this conversation that I was unaware, wow. I was unaware wow. that I had every right to say, absolutely not. Absolutely. Go you know, I won't even get into what you can go do, but 
Yeah. And harm. Can you imagine like I'm standing in front of 30, 40 people having to apologize for doing what the right thing was, right? Which was to coach, which, which was to give frequent feedback Mm -hmm. to folks on behalf of our kids. It's not about you. It wasn't about the, the adults. So anyway, that was one really harmful experience. And uh, needless to say, I, I wound up quitting, um, resigning, not quitting. I finished out the year and resigned because mm-hmm. I, I realized this is the other piece of information, uh, future educators, is you got to know when it's time to walk. Come on. You got to know when it's time to go. Girl, I knew, I don't know what it was, but in that moment I said, yes. I know my worth and yes. I deserve better than this. Yes. Um, and so girl, I submitted my resignation and I sure did. I took this job with summit and I brought my behind right on back up here to watch <laughs> uh, because I wasn't going to stay in and waste yeah. my time, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm really grateful that you shared that story. Um, and, and just a reminder to you and other people who have to make those choices, those choices still save you in the moment, Oh, absolutely. you know? And because I don't want people to feel shame, like, oh, I had to do this and it embarrassed me. Like that still mm-hmm. saved you. And the I think the beauty of your advice of in like giving back to your younger younger self, extending that to your younger self is a reminder that we also have so much freedom. Mm. And what I have seen is that sometimes we will adopt a personality right code switching we talk a lot about mm-hmm. code switching mm-hmm. as black people I don't engage in it I you gonna get me how you get me Girl. that's like <laughs> period yeah. on the podcast okay yeah. <laughs> you gonna get me how yeah. you get me but folks talk about code switching and for black and brown people who do code switch I know that then sometimes it is harder to um it's harder to have free students in your class right mm-hmm. it's harder to it's harder to see a free child for what they are because you have been socialized to embody something that would um, be respectful to white people, but not to you. Mm-hmm. And so I think the bigger message and what I consistently hear you saying is like, choose yourself in every part of the path. Absolutely. Even if you don't know yourself though. Absolutely. Because that's the beauty. Choose yourself. Mm -hmm. Because even if you don't know yourself, I can look back when I started as a year one teacher and I can go back through each year that I've been in education and every major scenario that always popped up, I doubted myself and believed the word of the white person who was supervising me or coaching me or giving me feedback for whatever reason. I doubted myself. I I have one more quick story. The same school I was at in Oklahoma, I will never forget this. I was in a meeting with a team of teachers who were just acting beneath themselves, quite frankly. Um, it was, it was some, some stuff that we shouldn't have even been sitting there having a meeting for, but we were. And so I very, um, you know, I'm a pretty direct communicator. I don't sugarcoat it. It is what it is. And I said something and the feedback my white principal at the time gave me after that conversation was over was you might want to watch your tone mm-hmm. and, and the gestures that you make come oh. across as, you know, just kind of aggressive. Mm-hmm. 
to the to the rest of the room who was filled with like five other white teachers by the way so um yeah i guess probably the if i could like if you know we had gone through advice number three advice number two the yeah, biggest yeah. piece of advice i'm a, in alignment with you is that choose yourself believe in yourself, those voices, I truly believe those of us who are tasked with like the great work in education and whatever your field is, those are the voices of our ancestors, right? Like those are the voices of those who came before us, who fought for us to even yeah. be where we are today. And how dare we ignore that stomp on their grave Come on, by doubting mm. ourselves, which I truly mm. believe ourselves those voice that little voice that we keep hearing our ancestors that are pushing us mm -hmm. of like hey this is what it looks like in your time but in in their time right like we i don't even know that we would have had the the wherewithal to withstand it right to continue to thrive to continue to elevate to new places for the generations to come after us so i would say don't doubt yourself. And in the moments you, you even start to doubt yourself, know that that means it's a push in the right direction and to keep following it. Keep following Ooh. that voice, pursue it, make space for yourself. Because if you sit around waiting on white folks to make space for you, honey, you're going to be knocking at the door forever. And I got sick of knocking at their door. I kicked it down and I, I make space for myself because I am worthy of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. 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 Come on. Yes. So what I want to end with, <clears throat> first I want to say like, thank you. Um, I, I named this podcast creating sites of belonging as, as an honorary, um, as an honorary, as a connection, as an ongoing story that Bell Hooks has started. And Bell oh. Hooks, if folks haven't like read her book called Belonging, it's, a, it's very short. Mm -hmm. But she's talking about how fr she's from uh, Kansas and everything that she had been socialized to believe was that she wasn't supposed to be in Kansas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she went around the world. She taught around the world. She like became this amazing academic black woman around the world, but she got tired. She mm -hmm. got exhausted. Oh. She was dealing with extreme um, racial barriers. There were like life-threatening sicknesses that were um, mm. coming onto her life. And that's not all in belonging. Some of this is all about love. I read a lot of her books. So I'm, I'd be piecing things together. But what really, um, what's really important is that she went back to Kansas. Mm. She went back, she went back home, right? When she started to see herself losing herself, mm. she was like, I'm going to go be a professor in my home state. Yeah. I'm going to go live on my grandmother's land. Mm. I'm going to go put my feet on the red dirt that I'm mm. from. Yeah. And she didn't let the segregation that she grew up with determine where she belonged. Mm. And so I created sites of belonging because I want black and brown and queer and non-binary and agender mm -hmm. and all the global majority and um, disabled folks and mm -hmm. folks who are usually not like represented. I want us 
to always feel like we have the audacity to create sites of belonging. And what I really love about queer politics and um, queer people and how how they really push the boundaries of binaries mm-hmm. is that they show us there's no limitations. Yes. We've been taught that there are limitations on gender. Queer people said there's no limitations. That's yes. why it's LGBTQI and ongoing. And whatever they want. No be. limitations. Yes. yes. And that that is the embodiment of belonging there are no limitations Mm-mm. and you can always go to where you belong yeah so as we as I end this podcast with you I want to know what do you want for yourself and young people to feel more of a sense of belonging at Summit Public Schools because mm. families and um, community members and young people will be hearing this and I want yeah we want to know what do you want for yourself and for your community yeah I I want, you know, this is just kind of stamping what I said earlier. I want our families, our students to know that they belong everywhere, that they are in all of their glory and all of their beauty and all of the ups and the downs, right, that come along with humans, the complexities that come with humans, being a human, that all of that is welcome here because they belong everywhere. And across all of our sites, you know, I know that we are are doing the work, but I want us to really, really take a, a look at what does doing the work mean, right? Mm-hmm. To, to really embody that. If you asked a student, I feel like I belong everywhere within Summit Public Schools what would that sound like to them? Mm-hmm. What would they be able to tell you their experience has been like? How, how are their teachers talking to them? How are their teachers? How are, how are their principals? Whoever the school staff are, how are they helping them to see themselves in a way that is universally accepted no matter where they are? Yeah. Giving many thanks and so much gratitude to Christina Brawley for joining us from Summit Public Schools. I am so grateful to have you on our first episode. Um, Yeah, and this is how we celebrate Black History Month. We bring up the truth, we center our stories, we choose ourselves, and we choose ourselves in the center of that story. Giving many thanks and gratitude. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And oh my gosh, I am so honored to know that I'm the first episode. In this next segment, you'll hear me speak to Talia Reyes, pronouns she, her, and her. She was born in Las Vegas and raised in the Bay Area. She defines herself as an introvert, but a very friendly, kind person. I'll be interviewing Talia Reyes because not only will she be talking to us about self-love, but after this first episode, Talia will be our wellness caregiver, which means that each episode, she will be able to interview one of her peers and they will give us a wellness tip. It's really important that we understand and invest in wellness from a young person's frame of mind because it really is the future that holds us. So I really hope you enjoy this last segment and get ready 
to be loved on by Talia. She has a lot to share with us, and there's so much more coming in these next episodes. Hi, Talia. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited because we're going to be talking about self-love, but from your perspective, you are one of our young people from TAM, but actually, why don't you introduce yourself and how you want to be known? Okay. I'm Talia. I do go to some TAM. I am a senior. Um, my pronouns are she, her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... I don't, I don't know how to introduce myself. Like, I'm, I mean, not a lot of people know me. I'm a very friendly, nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Libra, so, so yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, I mean, most people know, it's Valentine's Day this month. And some people celebrate it as Love Month. There's even like um, a celebration called Black Love Day, the day after Valentine's Day. So there's all these ways that people celebrate love, right? During February. And so I'm here to talk to you about what does self-love mean? And um, what does self-care mean? What does it mean to you though? To me, I... I think it's putting yourself first, you know, because a lot of people feel like to be happy, you need to put everyone else first instead of you. But you also need to think about what you want and what you love and what you want to do, because we have grown up with this mentality of like, in order to stay happy, in order to make everyone else happy, you need to put mm. everyone else first and help mm. everyone else, which is fine. Like, of course, make time to help other people, but you also should make time to help yourself to see what you love doing, to see what makes you happy. Ooh, you waking us up. <laughs> <laughs> let me turn my volume down. Like, let me not be loud. Oh, you waking us up. Okay, this is good. This is hot and heavy. I like this. Okay, so what do you think adults and peers need to know about love and how we talk about love? Um, I think with some, most adults and most of my peers, they think of love as just like relationship, boyfriend and girlfriends, Mm -hmm. friends and family, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, they don't really think of themselves as like, oh, love yourself, Mm -hmm. but- Because growing up, like, with me in a family of, like, like, where the men are always, like, dominant, Mm -hmm. it was always, like, you need a man to love you. You need a man to do this for you. And I just feel like that shouldn't be the case because, like, women are more dominant. No offense, but, like, it's, (laughs) it's the truth, you know? Like, we basically could do everything if we put our minds to it. Mm. so yeah well I don't know who's more dominant or not but what I do know is I think that's so beautiful that you are reclaiming your vision and understanding of love and I do understand what you're saying in a sexist patriarchal world that says women and girls should center our whole identity and worthiness around production and love and I love that you're pushing us and you're saying that's cool And choosing you before you choose any other vision outside of that is really important. 
Yeah, and while I do love Valentine's Day and I think mm -hmm. it's like a great to celebrate love, some people look at it as it's like a sad day because they don't have anyone or they don't mm. have to celebrate it with. But I feel like you could just celebrate it with yourself, you know? Don't sit down and be sad. Be happy that you could love yourself and you're alive mm. and you're seeing all these people love everyone else and love your family, you know? That's so peaceful and tender. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Ooh, I love that. Um, what supports or guidance do you desire from your school to support you and your peers in practicing self-care or self-love? Um, well, from my school, um, I do love my school. I'm not trying to diss the school, but I feel like what they what they they push a lot of work on us instead of telling us like like before you do your work don't be so stressed about it it's not that much if you need time like we we have had a lot of teachers that would be like if you need time like to have a break because it's so it's so much like mm -hmm. just like chill out and then you can get back to it and mm -hmm. i think that's great i think that's great that they do that because a lot of kids are always stressed out about how much work is put on us and like they feel like they don't have a lot of time for themselves mm. and that's why you know teacher phoenix is a great teacher because mm. with this round and with this whole year they have always told us like always take a break always instead of doing work if you can't do it at the moment do it later you know yeah yeah and I think that's the support kids need. And I think that's the reassurance that we need. And with adults as well, like adults are always so stressed out about bills and like having to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. And they don't really take time for themselves to think like, I probably need to like chill out and I probably mm -hmm. need to take a nap or something, you know? <sighs> Look at you get... <laughs> I'm glad I got to meet you. Shout out to Teacher Phoenix for hooking this yeah. interview up, right? Yeah, they're amazing. Oh, they're so amazing. And I get to meet you and everyone gets to hear your beautiful opinion and perspective on love and how you practice self-love. So um, as we transition, do you have any questions? Do you have any things that you want to share with the audience, the listeners? Yeah, I, peers? Want, mm -hmm. I want all the listeners to think about what does unconditional self-love look like mm. for you on a daily basis? Like, what do you do on a daily basis to show yourself that love? Mm. And what do you do that makes other people happy, but doesn't make you feel happy? And how, what can you do to change that? Go off, Talia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is too good. Giving giving so much thanks to your caregivers, to the people who have tended and nurtured and loved you and who have taught you self-love. I'm so grateful for your language, for you being able to share and extend yourself. Um, is there anything that you want to share? No, but I did have a good time talking on here, Ms. Jewel. This is very nice. Ooh, thank you. I'm so glad you agreed to it. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Creating sites of wellness is something everybody deserves. Thus, everyone is invited to invest in co-creating a space of belonging. 
As we transition out, may we all be reminded to go where we are well. We invite you to write in to jbachelor at summitps.org to share your feedback or wellness tips for us to share. Creating sites of belonging follows the voices of summit educators, young people, and caregivers. Through this oral reference, we name ways to co-create belonging.